Let's open up our Bibles now to the book of Romans chapter 8 as we continue on in this glorious epistle. We are working our way through chapter 8, which is, to many people, the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. There is such life-giving encouragement and hope that is found in this glorious chapter. We are picking up where we left off last week. That has us in verse 12. We're going to be looking together this morning at verses 12 and 13. Let's read them together now. Hear the word of the Lord. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living word. Thank you, Lord, for this gift that you have given us. Lord, what a treasure it is that we possess. Lord, I pray by your spirit, through your word, you would accomplish your good purposes in us this morning. Lord, causing blinded eyes to see, causing deaf ears to hear, causing, Lord, your people to be convicted where we need to be convicted, to to turn from sin, to run to you, Lord, causing even dead hearts to live. We know, Lord, that this is all the work of your Spirit and not the work of men. And so we pray, Lord, that you would accomplish that which only you could accomplish this morning through your word, by your Spirit. I pray for myself as I proclaim your words, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, these these two verses that we're looking at this morning have much to teach us about what we would call progressive sanctification. When when a person is converted, when a person is, is saved, when they're brought from death to life, they're given what we would call definitive sanctification. In other words, as we've seen in the book of Romans, definitively, once for all, when we put our trust in Christ, that we are brought into him. In his death, Jesus died to sin, and we have been, in that moment, united to him. So in his death, we too have died to sin and been raised with Christ to live for God. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, the Apostle Paul refers to believers as those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 11 of that same book, he says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So this definitive sanctification is a once-for-all event. It happens to every single Christian at the moment of their conversion where they are broken out of their bondage and slavery to sin. They are placed in Christ and they are washed. They are sanctified. But progressive sanctification... This, this, this work of God in the Christian, that continues throughout all of our earthly lives until we die. So in definitive sanctification, we're passive. We are recipients. It's something that God does to us, for us. We can't do it for ourselves. But in progressive sanctification, we must be active. We, we are called to put sin to death. We are called to walk in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so in other words, this, this, this sin that, that still dwells in us, even those who have been converted, it's not something we eradicate with a one-time experience. And that one-time experience of conversion, 
We are washed clean. We no longer stand guilty before the Lord. We have the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives. But inside of us, and we all know this if we're honest, inside of us, sin lurks, does it not? Well, there's not some one-time experience that's going to wipe that out and change that for us. There's no single event that's going to lead us to sinless perfection in this life. We must war against this for all of our lives. Well, these two verses that we're considering together this morning have much to teach us about that, how to defeat sin, how to walk in holiness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says these two verses are perhaps the most important statement with regard to the practical aspect of the New Testament doctrine of sanctification in the whole Scripture. There's much to be learned here from what Paul says in these two statements. Paul moves here in in these verses from exposition. What Paul has been doing is is unfolding for us the great truths of our salvation. As As he began with our obligation before God and our guilt and condemnation under sin, as he moved into our justification by grace alone, through faith alone, as he's moved further and further in unfolding what that means for the Christian, that we have been broken free from our identification with Adam and instead been identified with Christ, that we're no longer under sin's domination, but we are slaves of righteousness. As Paul has walked through all of that, unfolding it for us, now Paul makes a bit of a transition and moves to exhortation. In light of all of these things, in light of what God has done for us, Paul tells us there are some things you need to do. You need to put sin to death. We need to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we see this here in verse 12. So then, brothers. Okay, so brothers. Paul's talking to Christians here. Paul's talking to us. What a high and lofty title for us to have the Apostle Paul call us that. What what a glorious thing. He says, so then. So then is the same as the word therefore. If you come across these words, therefore, or so then, then we need to look at what came before that to see what it is that this is going to be the natural progression from. This is the logical consequence of what comes before it. And we've seen Paul do this in the book of Romans a number of times already. He makes a theological statement, and then he says, in light of that statement, in light of that truth, here's what else is true. Here's what's true, and here's what's not true in light of the truth we've already seen. So Paul in Romans has been presenting propositional truth, and now he says there's something we must do in light of that truth. Here's what you must do in light of the truth that we've just been discussing. The the blessings, the provisions, the promises that we've received from God that Paul has been unfolding for us in the book of Romans, those are the things that motivate and empower our obedience. Without them, we would be powerless to fulfill God's commands. What is it that God has done for us? Well, it's the the things Paul has just been telling us in the book of uh, Romans, in in the verses leading up to chapter 8, that when Christ died and rose again, we died and were raised with him. Christ died to sin once for all, and so we too have died to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves of God. He's told us that Satan and sin and the flesh and the worldly system 
in rebellion against God have been decisively defeated on the cross of Christ through his sinless life, through his substitutionary death, through his resurrection from the dead. They have no legal claim on the Christian at all because of the total victory of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. He's told us that now we walk according to the Spirit and not according to this corrupt flesh, that our lives are marked by obedience and faith because God has regenerated us. He's made our dead hearts to live, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us by faith. We've even seen that this indwelling Holy Spirit of God is the one who assures us of all the promises to God to us, that he's the guarantee of our future salvation. He's the guarantee of our future bodily resurrection. And we've seen that this Holy Spirit in us produces personal holiness in us. We, we are saved by the righteousness of Christ alone, not our own works of righteousness, not by our ability to manage doing the good things and not doing the bad things. No, it's the righteousness of Christ alone that is the only righteousness that God the Father Almighty will accept, but the fruit of this salvation, the evidence of the Spirit's indwelling within us is that the believer will walk in obedience to Christ as the Spirit produces love and gratitude in us, as the Spirit works out our salvation in us. It's, it's the outworking of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. We need to be very, very clear on that. It's so easy to get that wrong that we think the cause of our salvation is tied to how well we do in our obedience. No, it's the outworking of our salvation, but friends, it's a sure fruit. It is a sure fruit. It is an evidence of justification without which we have cause to doubt whether justification has happened in our life. And Paul's going to show us this. Paul's going to show us how important it is to walk in obedience. Paul says, we are debtors. God. Because of all of God, all that God has done, so then, brothers, in light of all of this, we're debtors. Look at what he says as he goes on in verse 12. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Okay, in light of all that God has done for us, we are debtors. But whose debtors are we? Who, who is it that we're obligated to? Well, he tells us right away who we're not obligated to. So we are debtors, but listen, we're not debtors to this. We, we owe nothing, absolutely nothing to the flesh. And again, flesh isn't our, our skin and bones. Flesh is our sinful desires, our, our lusts, our debased instincts. The flesh is it's all the passions, all the thoughts, all the actions that sin generates in the unbeliever, that, that sin generates within a person. We, we were once enslaved to these things, as Paul has told us, but we have been set free forever by the Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit, as Paul said, who rose Jesus Christ from the dead and now dwells in us, having raised us to life. We are in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us, we can never go back to that realm of sin and death and condemnation in, whence we, in which we once lived. We are now citizens of heaven, seated in the heavenlies with Christ, even now. That's why Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation left for us who are in Christ. The dominion of the flesh is over. It is our past history 
but it is not our present or our future, and so we owe nothing to the flesh and its rebellion against God. But we are debtors. We are debtors. We owe everything to the God who saved us. Paul said in chapter 6, verse 19, present your members, your body, all your faculties. Present yourself to right, as slaves to righteousness. In verse 22 of chapter 6, he says, you have become slaves of God, the fruit of which is sanctification and eternal life. We are, we are debtors to God. We are debtors to the triune God of the Bible, God the Father Almighty, who planned our redemption from all eternity past. We are in debt to him. We are debtors to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who accomplished our redemption. We are debtors to the Holy Spirit, who applies that redemption to the life of every believer. This is why we sing that great hymn, that, that line in that great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Oh, to grace how great a debtor I am daily constrained to be. And I'm glad the actual line is, daily I'm constrained to be, instead of the way I said it, because that would be awkward to sing. Cadence would be all wrong. No, we once were dead in sin, but now we are dead to sin. This is a radical transformation that has taken place. Though, though sin dwells within us, and, and it does still lurk in there, dwell within us, there is something infinitely greater that also now dwells within us, the Holy Spirit of God. By his life-giving power, we can, it's not just that we can fight sin, we can win. We can win in the fight with sin. So how is it that we do that? How is it that we defeat sin by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul goes on in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how is it then that the Christian defeats sin? Well, Paul says we must not live according to the flesh, but instead we must put to death the deeds of the body. Those who are in Christ now have real freedom not to sin. We talked about this in the adult Sunday school class this morning. For those of you that were in there, Adam and Eve created in the garden before the fall had the freedom not to sin. They did sin, but they had the freedom not to sin. They could have resisted temptation. And then after the fall, all humanity is born not having that freedom any longer. We just sin. We're slaves to sin, as Paul says. We're dead in sin. Sin has total dominion over us. But when we are broken free from that and placed in Christ, we are now free not to sin. We're not forced to do it. It's not our slave master anymore. We can resist the devil. We can put sin to death. We can pursue righteousness. In fact, as John Owen greatly said, we must do this. We must either be killing sin or sin will be killing us. The one who is in Christ, the one who possesses true saving faith, will do these things. They will fight against their sin. If we don't fight against our sin, here's what it means about us. We're not in Christ. Our profession is false. We're still enslaved and dead in our sins. Because becoming a Christian doesn't end the battle with sin. The battle begins the moment of our new birth. The moment of our conversion is when that battle begins. And it continues through the whole of our lives. There is a war going on. 
And the moment we're born again, we are thrown into this battlefield, and for the whole rest of this earthly life, the Christian is in the midst of this warfare. This life is warfare. That, that, that's, that's the reality of living in this fallen world. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That's why I say if we're not in a war for holiness, if we're not in a war with our sin, it is a sign that we're not a Christian because there is a war going on. There is someone waging war against your soul. We must fight. We must make war against the flesh. We must make war against sin. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. What's the life of faith look like? A fight. A bloody, violent war. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul tells Timothy of himself, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Oh, we're in a war. Our call as Christians is to fight the fight. There is a fight going on. Someone is fighting against you. Your, your job as a Christian is to fight and Paul says that Paul shows us what a faithful look, life looks like to get to the end and say, "I fought. I fought all the way to the end." That, that's the Christian life. Paul says here, back in Romans eight, if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Don't be deceived, friends. God is not mocked. Galatians chapter six, verse seven: Whatever one sows, that will he reap. Those who persist in unrepentant sin reap one reward, death. They're not in the Spirit. The Spirit is not in them. Even though many claim to be Christians, they are frauds. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. We, part of our battle with sin is examining ourselves to see, am I fighting my sin? Do I hate my sin? Do I want to put my sin to death? Am I even aware that I'm in a battle for life and death? Examine yourselves. And so the, we ought to. Are you fighting sin, Christian? Are you seeking to put sin to death in your life? Does your life give evidence that the Spirit of God lives in you? That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Would your life testify rightly to that? Are you being sanctified? This idea of sanctification consists really of two elements. One is mortification. The other is conformation. Mortification means we must put sin to death. It's just an old word that means to kill something. We've got to put it to death. Put sin to death. But confirmation means we are being conformed to something. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. This is what sanctification looks like. We put sin to death and we are conformed into the image of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, We all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. 
Later in chapter 8 of Romans, in verse 29, Paul says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is God's will for us, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And it is the thing he does for all true Christians. He conforms us to the image of Christ. And what are these deeds of the flesh that we must put to death? We must put to death the deeds of the flesh or else we're going to die. What are they? Well, Scripture doesn't leave us guessing. Scripture lays it out plainly. The human conscience actually gives a hearty amen to these lists that we see in Scripture. Even those who are trying to suppress the truth about God and believe a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator, there is something in them that goes, yeah, that's true. Colossians 3 Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And then he gives a list. This is the same Apostle Paul who's writing Romans. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming, Paul says. And in verse 8, he says, you must put away anger. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Paul gives us another list in Galatians chapter 5. Starting in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are more lists like this. Paul gives another one in 1 Corinthians 6. We won't take the time to to read that one, but the works of the flesh are not a mystery to us. They're obvious. We, We don't see these lists and something resonates in our heart that goes, I really thought fits of anger were good and noble. I really thought sexual immorality was something I should pursue more often. No, we know these things. Everyone knows these things. And listen, friends, God's people are not free to walk in any of those things. None of them. It's not a matter of like, I got nine out of ten that I'm doing real good on. This one, that's my deal. No, no, no. We're not free to walk in any of those. So do you see yourself in those lists? One of the things about these lists is, if we're being honest, we do see these things in our hearts. We see ourselves on that list more than once. So let me ask you this, because I know you see yourself on this list. Are you seeking to hold on to any of these sins this morning? Are you on this list and and, and you want to hold on to this? Even if you're saying, I know I can't hold on to it forever, but today you refuse to repent. You're going to hold on to it today. I I want you to hear again Paul's warnings from these passages, if that's you. God's wrath is coming on account of these things. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hear the warning that Paul gives us in Romans 8 as we're looking at today. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. We must not coddle. We must not nurse. We must not feed or excuse our sin. We must be ruthless. 
We must be angry. We must be aggressive in putting it to death. And that has to begin in our minds and our thoughts. Because that's where we love to make excuses as Christians, isn't it? When we see these lists, see, Jesus isn't just talking about what we do with our hands. He's talking about what we do in our hearts, what we do in our minds. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown in hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now we hear Jesus make these statements and we go, he doesn't mean that. Obviously, we're not supposed to lop our hands off. That's not our first instinct as parents. If our kid steals a a piece of candy, I'm doing this for your good. Honey, get the ax. No, we don't do that. But we are far too quick to say Jesus doesn't mean what Jesus says here. Jesus commands us to take violent action against our sinful inclinations. Never negotiate with sin. Never tolerate it, even for a moment in your mind. Sin wants to kill you. That's the only thing it wants. It wants to dominate and kill you. It will not stay happily in its own little compartment that you think you're managing it in. It wants total control, total domination. It is bleeding over into every other area of your life, particularly when that comes to matters of the spirit. And it wants you dead. It might feel harmless to you. At times it might feel harmless. It might even feel good. Sin feels good for a season. But it wants to kill you. And it wants to kill your children. And it wants to kill generations to come. It wants to defile all the people around you. It wants to poison your church. Ultimately, it wants to see you in hell. Fight it. Fight it. Hate it. Put it to death. This word that that Paul uses here, put to death. In the Greek, it it indicates a continuous action. Continually putting it to death. We are in a continual war. It's not a one-time victory. Friends, you know this. You, You know this about your sin. You know this if you've ever, like, lost weight and then gained it, and you're always working on that certain amount of pounds that you want to get off. You don't just get to that thing and then you're like, well, that's it. It's over. I'll never deal with this again. No, it's a continual battle. And sin is a continual battle. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He does not rest. He does this 24 hours a day. He does this seven days a week, 365 days a year. He does not take time off. He is constantly looking for an opening to devour you, but friend, he is a defeated enemy. He is a defeated enemy. Don't negotiate with him. You don't need to. He's got no power over you. You owe nothing to the flesh. Don't negotiate. Resist him, and he must flee from you. 
Don't make excuses for your sin. Put it to death. We must put on the whole armor of God. We must fight daily. And we do so knowing that whatever God has commanded us to do, he has also enabled us to do by his spirit. This isn't a losing battle we're fighting. Just because it's going to go on for the whole rest of our lives, it's a winning battle. He's promised his people this victory. But we must stay vigilant. We must keep our hand to the plow in this life. He goes on. But, but, so if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Well, if we're going to do this, if we're going to put sin to death in our life, we have to be active. This is not a passive thing that we're going to just slide into. We must be active, but we put sin to death only by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that it is done. R.C. Sproul says, Our obligation does not require us to act on our own, independent of the work of the Spirit in us. It is our faith that must be exercised. We must work out our faith in fear and trembling. But all this is in, by, and through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. That this is how we put sin to death, even as we strive for and struggle for it. Pro- progressive sanctification, then, in that sense, is a cooperative effort. It is the Holy Spirit's working in us as we work out our salvation. Douglas Moose says, human activity in the process of sanctification is clearly necessary. Okay, effort on our part. But that activity is never apart from nor distinct from the activity of God's Spirit. And so we must strive for righteousness. We must put to death the deeds of the flesh. And we must be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And the reason we're supposed to do that, the only reason we can do that is because it's God working in us. And Paul says both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In in other words, the only reason you even want to do this is because God has acted upon you. Or else you wouldn't want to do this. That's what Paul's been telling us about the unbeliever in Romans. They don't care. They're in this pit of filth and condemnation, locked up in a jail cell, totally dominated by sin, and they don't care. They're happy there. No, it's because God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Apart from Christ and his Spirit's indwelling power, we can do nothing. Nothing good. But we can do all things through Christ who continually makes us strong. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. By the Spirit's power, we can put sin to death. By the Spirit's power, we can walk in obedience. By the Spirit's power, we can be free from those things that have bound us up. Those things we, we return to the way a dog returns to his vomit. We can be free from those things by the Spirit's power. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. What an amazing statement. I toil. I struggle. 
That means to work hard, to, to even suffer for it, to, to labor. Toil and struggle is, is suffering. But God's Spirit provides the motivation, the energy, the power. I am toiling and struggling with His energy that He powerfully works within me. God provides the desire, God provides the energy, God provides the power, and He both guarantees the results and produces them. God produces the results in us and God guarantees the results for his people. This is not optional for the Christian. Sanctification, walking in obedience and holiness, it's a command. It's a command in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. There's no debate about it. It's God's will that we be sanctified. It's God's command that we be sanctified. God himself will make his people holy. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We're to strive for it. We're to toil for it. We're to struggle for it. Friend, I pray that, that, that even now you will yield to the Holy Spirit. If you have walked in here with something that you have been holding on to, some sin that you will not lay down, I pray that you'll yield to the Spirit. You may be stubborn. You may be rebellious. You may be hard-hearted. But I encourage you, there is grace for you. There is grace enough for you in Christ. Ask God to humble you. Ask God to give you a soft heart. Ask God to cause you by his spirit to walk in obedience to his word. He has promised his people he will do it. He will sanctify us. He will make us holy. Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Sanctification is the sure outcome of justification. If the Spirit of God lives in you, he will produce sanctification in you. Scripture tells us repeatedly, it's, it's only those who put sin to death that are saved. Those who walk in the flesh die an eternal death. Now, again, we have to be so clear about this. It doesn't mean that we save ourselves by our obedience. That's a false teaching of works righteousness. Holy living is the effect of salvation, not the cause of salvation. But again, it is a necessary and sure effect. It, it, is, it is all of those whom God justifies that he sanctifies. That's how we can examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. We can look at our lives and see if our lives are testifying that we have been saved. So our continual disobedience may well be proof that we've never been truly converted. If we just continue to walk in disobedience, we don't even feel the weight of our sin. We've decided to hold on to it. We've decided somehow that like God is giving me this one because I'm so good in all these other areas of my life. 
Well, friend, that might be a sign that you're just dead in sin. You've just never been converted. The Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you because as much as sin wants all of you and isn't content to stay in the little box you try to keep it in, the Holy Spirit wants all of you and is not content to stay in a little box you think you can keep him in. Spirit will work sanctification in the life of the believer. So kill sin. Pursue righteousness daily and you will live with God. Let me just talk a little bit about applying this to our lives as we close. How do we apply this truth to our daily lives? Well, the first is this. Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This, in the, in the past month and months and even years, as we see high-profile Christian leaders exposed as frauds, fall because of their sin, this is the number one thought that comes to my mind continually. I must make no provision for the flesh. We, we must make no provision for the flesh. In other words, starve your sinful nature to death. Don't feed it. Don't give yourself opportunity to give in to it. Starve your sinful nature. What, what is it in you that, that causes your affection for the Lord Jesus Christ, your worship of him to be stirred up? What, what is it that causes you to think high and lofty thoughts of God, to, to just naturally want to respond to him in worship and obedience. What, what are those things? I would, I would challenge you throughout the day today. It's the Lord's day, so it's actually good to think on the Lord throughout the whole day. It's just a friendly little tip for you on Sundays. Think on this today. What are those things? What is it that, hap- that does that in my heart? And can I just make this simple encouragement to you? Make time for those things. Invest yourself in those things. Those are things of eternal importance. And certainly things like reading the scripture and prayer and gathering together for corporate worship, if those things aren't doing that in your heart, I don't mean you walk around with nonstop goosebumps. If that's not the the, the result of those things in your life, the problem is with you and not with them. Can we just be that clear? You need to call out to the Lord. But what about those other things that do that? Certain, certain activities that you do maybe with your family. Maybe it's whatever. I don't want to take our time making a list. What are those things that produce worship of the Lord in you? Make time for those things. And the other side of this is true. What, what dulls that? What makes you not mindful of the Lord? Obviously what leads you into temptation, but I just mean what... What kind of dulls you to that? What, what makes your, your affections for Christ just sort of dissipate so you don't think about him a whole lot? It just kind of numbs you. Think about that today as well. What are those things that have that effect on me? We all have things that have an effect like that on us. It's, it's not maybe that it just makes us act in outright sinfulness. It just sort of numbs us, dulls us. We don't think on Christ as much. We don't meditate on the gospel as much. What, what, what are those things? And the, the response to them is a simple one. Cut them out. Don't make time for them anymore. 
Don't do it. Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. And I don't mean like, you know, I don't want to get a text from you later today that says, my job is one of those things that dulls my affection for Christ. No, but as much as we're able, we ought to make time for the things that stir up worship and obedience in us, and we ought to cut those things out that dull us of that. That's how we grow in sanctification. There are things that I do not feel free to participate in now that I did feel free to participate in 10 years ago. And the only difference is, it's not that I've become an old curmudgeon, although there's probably, I'm a little bit like that. No, the difference is sanctification. There are things now that I was perfectly happy with 10 years ago that maybe something I watch or maybe something I listen to that now I see it or I hear it and I go, oh, this is gross. This isn't doing anything for me. This doesn't make me love the Lord more. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about when he said, does your right eye cause you to sin? Gouge it out. Does your right hand cause you to sin? Cut it off. Take violent decisive action to kill sin and temptation and to walk in righteousness and freedom. That is the call. Make no provision for the flesh. Second, make use of the means of grace that God has provided. God has provided so many things. We couldn't possibly list them all here, but meditate on Scripture. Powerful in the fight with sin. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Meditating on the word of God is supernaturally powerful in putting sin to death. Meditate on high and lofty thoughts of God from his word. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on the things that are on earth. This is an active process. I'm actively setting my mind on the things that are above. I'm actively not setting it on the things that are of earth. It's exactly what we're talking about. What are the things that set my mind on things above? Make time for them. What are the things that set my mind on things of earth and make me not even think about the things above? Cut them out. We're to be active in this process. Meditate then on the guilt and weight and evil of your sin. Oh, those lists we read earlier from the Apostle Paul, where Paul says, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if you do these things. You will die if you do these things. We're, we hear those so often as good churched folks, and we start thinking of, oh, that's right. There's a lot of people like that. Now think about the weight, the guilt, the wickedness of your sin, the sin of your heart, the sin of your thoughts, Obviously, the sin of your hands and your words. Don't minimize it. It's eternally serious. It dishonors the Lord. It is rebellion. It is idolatry. Then pray for, long for, cry out for deliverance from sin. That God would be glorified in you. It's only when we have an awareness of the gravity of our sin that we can even do that, that we even, that we even sense any need to cry out to the Lord for salvation and deliverance. Pray for grace and receive it. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. James says God gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4. Jesus says to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. Invest yourself in the local church. God has given us to one another. We need each other. We have a responsibility to one another as brothers and sisters to help each other grow in sanctification and godliness. It is a, it is a gift of the Lord to unite his people to a local church. Trust in the promise of God to sanctify his people by his spirit. It's only by the spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And friends, again, he has promised his people that he'll do it. He's promised us that he will do it for all of his people, for all Christians. He will do this work in us, even as we're called to, to work and to strive. The goal of our sanctification is the glory of God. Our sin is a worship problem before it's a behavioral problem or a thought problem. It's a worship problem. Our, the goal of sanctification is the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the bride that Christ is making for himself. A, a filthy bride does not bring glory to her husband. Christ will have a holy bride. He's committed to sanctify us and he will succeed in doing it. The work of sanctification is ultimately going to be brought to completion in the life of every believer when this earthly life comes to an end or the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is the hope of every Christian. This is not a losing battle. This is a victorious battle. What a glorious day it will be. What a glorious day it will be when this happens. When we come into the fullness of sanctification. As we sing in that same great hymn, Come Thou Found. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linens, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. What a day that will be. It's no wonder the next lines, come my Lord, no longer tarry, bring your promises to pass. For I know your power will keep me until I'm home with thee at last. Oh, that day we'll struggle with sin, with temptation no more. These things will no longer hinder our relationship with the Lord. We will be made perfect and righteous completely, not, not just in our standing, having been credited the righteousness of Christ, but we will be righteous, free from sin. And until that day, friends, we make war. We make war with our sin in the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. Oh, it's my prayer that we would commit to this. Commit to making war. It doesn't matter if you're 22 or if you're 89 Commit to making war for the whole rest of your earthly life. Let's pray together.
Almighty God, thank you for your word. Lord, it is in your kindness that you reveal to us the nature of our enemy. That you reveal to us this, this enemy, the devil, who prowls around seeking to devour us. This enemy of flesh, of our sinful desires that want to kill us. Lord, more than that, you have revealed to us your spirit who indwells us. You have revealed to us the way of salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So, Lord, our standing with you is not predicated on our ability to obey perfectly and never sin. Lord, we rest in your grace. We trust in your grace. But we want to take your word seriously that tells us the grave consequences of those who do not battle sin. So, Lord, though each one of us is not only tempted by sin, but gives into sin. Lord, we want to, by your grace and your Spirit's work within us, hate our sin and seek to put it to death and grow increasingly in conformity to the likeness of Christ. I pray you would do that work in us. I pray, Lord, by your Spirit, you would energize us for the work. Do not let us grow weary in doing good. For at the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't lose heart. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to rest in Christ and his sufficient work in his life, death, and resurrection so that we, we never confuse, Lord, our, our need to walk in obedience, our need to walk in righteousness and put sin to death with the cause of our salvation. But instead, Lord, out of, out of the thankfulness, out of the gratefulness that you produce in us by your spirit, we would walk in obedience to you. Lord, that our joy would increase as we serve you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your power to accomplish all that you have commanded and all that you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen.